0: I'm not sure what this podcast is about, actually. I guess I'll find out. I started taking a course offered by Yale on Coursera. It's free. By Dr. Lori Santos, who is actually on Glennon Doyle's podcast. And apparently she is offering the most popular course in Yale's history, like of 300 some odd years. And it is The Science of Happiness. Um, I don't think that's the exact name of the course. She does have a podcast also, Lori Santos. I think it's called The Happiness Lab. And one of the things she talks about is that the course is for her as well as for everybody, which is something I always say about my own practice, that when teaching I'm always learning, and it's always reminding me of the things I need to do or the things I have done well and the things I haven't done so well. And one of the things she said on the course was what's been proven through research, and research is getting more and more sophisticated on how to measure, we um, could say, soft things like happiness, satisfaction, contentment, etc. And what is the point of measuring, by the way, is it's no longer anecdotal. It's not just a story. Well, my grandpa did it, so it should work for me. It can give us, at least in the broadest terms, what's going on for a huge sample of the population. And you may be an outlier, and that's all right. But you're also now getting information that isn't just somebody making it up from the stories of a couple of people or because their spirit guide told them and you don't know if that person talking to a spirit guide has mental health issues or if they're really talking to a spirit guide (laughs) i'm still a cynic about spiritual stuff and new age stuff because i have found so few authentic practitioners and the ones i have found have been fabulous but there's a lot of fake stuff out there. So anyway, her research said, proves, says, that what we used to say in the 80s, which is knowing it is half the battle, turned out to be completely false. That knowing it, in fact, sometimes will stop you from doing anything because you think now that I know it, things will get better. But that's like knowing about dieting, knowing about exercising, doesn't mean that you do it. So her course is very well designed. It just started and has a lot of practice in it, just like the holistic psychologist, by the way. And there's another one called In the Trenches. I can never pronounce the woman's name, Indian um, therapist who I absolutely love on Instagram. And I just want to mention um, all of these things about psychology because people often come to a spiritual person such as myself instead of psychology because it's much more romantic to deal with spirituality very often people think they will get to talk about spiritual things instead of their own inadequacy failures or emotions or challenges (laughs) and that's not true the fact is that until you have this earth plane life up and running There's only so much you can do spiritually, unless you're one of the few who's very, very spiritually gifted, in which case you can do a lot spiritually, but that doesn't mean your life is going to be happy, satisfying, safe, good, challenging, creative, interesting, etc. It just means you can do a lot of cool spiritual stuff, and a lot of people will think cool things about you, but that's it. So... I would say that with most people, I spend one to two years at the minimum on basically psychology and using spirituality to help along psychology so that people can start to have a good relationship with themselves. When you have a good relationship with yourself, you can stay with yourself. When you can stay with yourself, you can receive spirit. When you can come home to yourself, spirit can take you very far away because you have the strength to come home and you have a home to come home to, meaning your relationship with yourself. But a lot of people come to someone like me instead of a therapist because I'm what you can call a high value target, which means people pleasing me or someone like me has more oomph to it, more pizzazz. Because it's not just some cuckoo or boring therapist, but someone who talks to spirit or runs energy. And so if they like me, that's going to make me have more value. And that's very often how the journey starts, which is fine. Spirit very often will place chocolate in front of you to get you to do something that you really need to do, which is basically eat your broccoli as well. I want to mention a couple of podcasts um, that I really like, and they require work, and it will cut out a lot of time that you might have to do in therapy with me or someone else. And it may not take care of everything, but it will lay a very good foundation. And one is Dr. Phil has a podcast called Phil in the Blanks, using his first name, P-H-I-L. And he has a seven-part series called Living by Design. They're not all in a row. He has like part one, and then he has some interviews with people, I guess, to illustrate the things he's talking about. But I didn't really like those interviews, I must say, so I skipped over them after trying one or two. So he has a seven-part series, and there's actually things you can do, not just listen to it. And I don't agree with everything he says, but they have a saying in 12-step, take the best and leave the rest. And that's what I do. Things I don't like or I don't agree with, I just kind of leave it on the side. And some people have a very hard time with an authoritarian male voice. And if that's too challenging for you, then you won't be able to listen to them. But I personally don't have a problem with that myself. He then has a second part to this series on personality disorders. And he does mention that this is kind of a class or sort of discussion to help you understand that some of the red flags you see are serious red flags and how to handle it, what to avoid, what you can and cannot do. And after that, those five podcasts, he has two more one on living life with purpose, which is mind blowing and a more mind blowing one after that is about healthy neurology, like taking care of the brain because the brain monitors, produces our thoughts. It also regulates our nervous system and it is the receiving part of spirituality as well, though that's not something he talks about. And so often, with this podcast i think everything wonderful that needs to be said or taught is already out there and it is as far as i'm concerned so i have a request which is if you have any topics you'd like to hear about or questions please let me know i have a website you can also find me on facebook instagram life path healings and my website is MarieFoyer.org, last name spelled F-E-U-E-R. There's ways to contact me there. And would love to hear from folks about what you'd like to hear about because I'm running out of ideas. (laughs) I just wanna keep referring you to all the great information that's already out there. Come on, Pia. I'm puffing a little bit, going uphill. And I want to talk a little bit about relating to people and being on a spiritual path and relating to people. So first of all, I need to, I guess, remind people, I am definitely a weirdo. I always have been when I started teaching psychology <clears throat> in the textbook that was talking about pathologies and in the beginning it said there's a difference between eccentric and pathological and here's what eccentric looks like and there was about 18 checkpoints on eccentricity and I fit I think 14 of them I remember calling my brother and going it's official I'm not crazy I'm eccentric (laughs) on every learning styles test and personality test I fit two to 5% of the population. You're okay, Pia, come on. She's hearing dogs, you're okay, come on. What I teach and what I say, or for those of you who somehow think you wanna be like me, I would advise you not to do that. (laughs) Very hard to be an outlier. And in general, If you're on a serious spiritual path and you're not in a spiritual community, you will be an outlier. And it gets really lonely at times. And even though you might have a great relationship with yourself and source and a higher power, it's definitely different being a minority. For those of you who are not already a minority based on either race or non-binary gender choices or um, just being of a different ethnicity and not being part of the majority. You know what it's like to be a minority. Very often, though, in those cases, you do have a community of non-binary folks or your race or religion, etc. But doing serious spiritual work, unless you're living in a monastery or something, it can be very um, isolating. And when you take on spiritual work, or when you listen to podcasts even, or you study, you have to find your own way of applying the information, because you're an individual. One of the things that happens in spirituality as well as therapy is people-pleasing, which is very often people start off on spirituality and in therapy to get a person to validate them and approve them and support them and soothe them, etc., all of which is good, good beginning steps. And at some point, though, You need to learn to do that for yourself as well, meaning validate yourself, self-soothe yourself, um, find value for yourself instead of always trying to manipulate and control someone else so that you get reactions that make you feel good. And a good spiritual teacher who is not interested in a cult forming a cult will very often wean you off of them by refusing to accept that kind of people-pleasing behavior after a while. If you've read anything about Milarepa or some of the Himalayan or Tibetan masters. They're always unpredictable with their students. And they will use pretty much any method they can to help someone to wake up rather than be sheep. And why am I saying this? Because I would say with almost everyone who has... Studied at Life Path Healings on any serious note, which is not everybody, which is fine. Those who have, I think almost without exception, every one of them has had a blow up against the authority figure, which in this case is me. And most come back after a year or two of leaving in a huff. I'm sure with lots of stories of what's wrong with me, what I've done wrong, I'm cold, I'm brutal. Now I didn't used to be, (laughs) but at some point I become that once the time of uh, tolerating people pleasing is over. And it's kind of like an adult adolescence. At some point there's rebellion. And that rebellion usually involves blaming the parent. And that's pretty common with not only working with a teacher, but with therapists, We call it transference, where whatever unresolved issues you have with important people in your past, parents or spouses or siblings sometimes, you take that out that unresolved rage, disappointment, feeling rejected, feeling used, whatever it is. And you reenact it, this time with all the rage or depression or rebellion that you have because the person you're working with now is a safe person to do that with. Sounds like a paradox, but actually we know that, maybe not recently, but In the past, most homicides were committed among people who knew each other. Why? Because people find it safe to get really mad at someone they know, as opposed to a stranger that they don't know what that stranger might do to them. So going through this process of kicking someone to the ground, who originally was your hero, is pretty common. And therapists are trained to handle it. And I don't know many spiritual teachers that are unless they've taken some psychology or their own practice of detachment and understanding human nature has taught them that. I want to encourage you that if you have gone through that phase or are going through it, Don't give up. Hang in there. Separate for a while. Work it out. Hopefully get over your ego. Come back when you're licking your wounds. And see what happens from there. Remember, anybody you put on a pedestal has nowhere to go but down. Once they go down in your mind and you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start seeing the human, the teacher in a more realistic light, then the real relationship begins. Being an outlier like I am, it's meant that I've had to literally study how to get along with humans other than deeply energetic people and moving into a power position that of a teacher has made that much more complicated and included another layer of learning that I never had to go through before in the past just being an energy person meant hanging out with other energy people (laughs) and that was it being a teacher means that I'm always having to be aware of someone else's agenda because I'm a high value target, meaning in their mind, I'm someone, quote, worth knowing because of the benefits. I had a remote healer I was friends with, and a little while into the friendship, he said, I love talking to you because, you know, I can get all these little answers to these little questions I need, you know, the psychic answer to how things are gonna work out when I talk to you. And I was stunned. It's like, so that's why we're friends. You can get these sort of mini free readings. And in my mind, if you're friends with someone, you wanna pay your friend. You want them to be in business. You want them to survive. You're not friends with them to get deals. That was my idealistic take. I had some other friends in small business Not this one, another one. But they said the same thing happens to them. All their friends, once these guys went into business, suddenly wanted favors. I was shocked. (laughs) Naive. Always naive about these things. I think what I'm trying to say is that learning to get along with people is a skill set for all of us. There are exceptions, there are plenty of people whose life charts I look at, and they're, they, they're having primarily a human life. They're here to have a family, entertain the family, have more family, have grandchildren, go to church, temple, mosque, whatever they do, and pretty much works. And it's pretty simple. And they don't ever come to see someone like me except maybe once out of curiosity. But life works for them. Shopping works, school works, eating junk food, taking medicine when they get older. It works, nothing wrong with that. But if you're an outlier, all of that might seem incredibly empty to you and maybe even depressing. Like, is that all there is? One of the reasons I have a spiritual practice is because life was never enough for me. And if that's not true for you... Don't try to make it true for you. Don't stop wearing nail polish because I said so. Don't start eating healthy because I said so. You want to do those things because somehow it makes sense to you compared to what you have been doing or what the mainstream culture has been doing. You want to get on a spiritual path to the degree that it suits you. Not because you're thinking it's going to gain you brownie points in heaven, keep you out of court, or replace your antidepressants. It may end up doing those things, but if that's the reason you're going in for it, as soon as you're close to your outcome, or you get your outcome, or you don't get your outcome, you'll quit. And that's fine too. I'm just kind of giving you a, a little prediction about that. For those of you who just, this life doesn't make sense, it's just not enough that when you are someone that a spiritual practice becomes as essential as, uh, let's say, people who have food allergies, and they have to eat healthy it's not a big moral choice. It's like, if I don't eat this way, like if you have celiac disease, and you don't eat your diet, you show signs of psychosis, hallucinations, audio and visual, and you'll get hospitalized. And it's horrible. So yeah, you have to eat well. And that to me is kind of what spirituality is like. If you are more of a mainstream person, spirituality is can be a fun like hobby. More fun than, say, crocheting or, uh, I don't know, having collectible items or going on drinking binges or something. (laughs) Why am I bringing this up? Dr. Phil talks about you have to have something in your life that you're passionate about. Something. Something. Not a person something. We used to call it a hobby. Maybe we just call it a creative drive and it it could be being the best grandmother. It could be being the best uh, roller skater. It could be being the best hostess or host. So there's a distinction between people who are passionate about spirituality and people who like spirituality because it helps them be passionate in the rest of their life. Sometimes if you don't know which one you are, you can get into kind of a knot of... Well, I want to belong and and I I want to fit into this group and I want to be like this other person because they look good. It looks like they have a better life than me. And that's when you get into people-pleasing and power plays and retaliation and knocking that person off a pedestal. Being someone who, for example, collects dollhouses is no less no better than anybody else that's just what you're doing in this life the question is how's the quality of your life and is your passion in alignment with the quality of your life or is your passion a distraction or maybe you don't have a passion yet And that's hard stuff to figure out this kind of goes along with the idea of if you're an outlier how do you get along with other folks well before i moved to the inland empire where i have no friends because of the conservative nature out here of the fundamentalist christians in los angeles i had spiritual friends i had horsey friends I had movie friends and Dr. Phil talks about this. It was very validating to to hear about this. And I would never talk to the horsey friends about spiritual stuff. And I wouldn't talk to the spiritual people about movies and eating out. So it is possible to have these different groups of friends because you have these different aspects of yourself, these different parts inside of you. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I used to think, Everybody had to be everything. If you were a friend, you were a friend like, you know, all the way. And there was no separation, no boundaries, no differentiation, and that wasn't very healthy at all. That also means that if you have a spiritual teacher, you may have nothing in common with them. My own spiritual teacher likes to gamble in his off time. I hate gambling. I never want to hang out with him outside of class (laughs) I have nothing in common with him I love nature and animals he's much more urban and people and excitement and stuff like that much more extroverted so I'm not friend friends with him I am a spiritual friend and some folks don't make that differentiation. They're like, if I'm studying with a spiritual person, we need to be friends, and if we're not friends, and why is that? There is this kind of unconscious agenda that, well, if we're friends, you won't hurt my feelings, which is true. Friends are not your therapists because, A, they don't have training, or if they are a therapist, they're not going to be your friend because ultimately they're going to hurt your feelings if they are a therapist or a teacher. But friends very often go out of their way to not say things to each other in order to keep the friendship going. Or they say it in the nicest way possible and they're not there to challenge you necessarily or make you a better person or confront you with some of your issues, etc. In fact, that's one of the things to talk about in psychology that when you start setting boundaries with friends, with family, with close people, You're going to have to negotiate the blowback, and there's always blowback from boundaries, and it's tough. You also need to remember that no matter how high and mighty somebody is, they're in a human journey as well. And I love listening to Ram Das because he always talks about things like he introduced a friend to his guru and then his guru liked his friend better than him and he felt awful and he was pissed he introduced his friend and cracks me up because, yeah, that stuff is true. Now it doesn't run his life, it didn't ruin his life, but it blew through him like a wind. So if you treat your spiritual teacher a certain way, shut them down, walk away, I don't know what you might be expecting, that there would be a non-reaction to that, or that it is not something that needs to be then adjusted or talked about, etc. Same thing like if you have a university professor. I had a bunch of black students one time, African-American. And oh, they were just so shitty. And as time went on, um, and I had disclosed some of my life and things I had done in in the course of teaching, they came up to me on math and apologized and said, you know, we thought you were just some other white entitled hippie person, like from Berkeley, and we hated you. (laughs) And we're so sorry, because that was a stereotype. We just kind of made that up. And it was just such a nice thing, it's like, oh, so you actually know that professors have feelings too. (laughs) Even though that's not part of the class curriculum. If you're using someone, like to be a teacher or therapist, or you're using them because they have horses, or you're using them because they have money or you're using them for whatever reason, that isn't necessarily evil, by the way. As long as you're honest and fair about it. And sometimes you might need to have a discussion about that. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's too awkward a thing to have a discussion about. And using people doesn't make you any less spiritual or more horrible than other choices. In other words, it keeps coming around to, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. All the spiritual people who started off pretty good and turned into a cult, it, their how changed and they didn't change it back for all the people who come to spirituality in order to gain power, recognition, or they have a fantasy that once they can heal other people, now they'll have a purpose and a passion and they'll feel amazing. So the how, why they're going into spiritual studies, is way off whack. But, it might be the only place they can start at, and it might change as they go along. There was a yoga person I talked to said, yeah, I got into yoga because it looked like a, an easy, cool, fun way to make money and you get to wear cool clothes and everybody loves you. And then I got serious about it and started meditating and started doing other spiritual work. So that's the other thing about the how. You can be aware of the how and not be ashamed of it and just say, yeah, this is my starting point right now. Like I'm going to the gym to meet people so I can hook up well you're going to the gym that's good the how might suck but you're aware of it and it might change or you might even hook up with somebody and it might turn out great it might turn out horrible so knowing the how is part of the learning and growing not another thing to add to your shame list A lot of people give and act kind and smile and they're soft and they say all the right things and they're doing all of that to feel better. They're doing all of that to handle their low self-esteem or not having a lot of sense of self-value. Again, as a starting point, sometimes that's where you got to start. Then after a while you heal and you see how much you still want to be sweet and kind and giving and get along with people. You might find yourself hanging out with a lot of alcoholics and a lot of people that argue. When I was younger, I used to hang out with a lot of crazy people because it made me feel less crazy. It was the best I could do. I was a good friend to the crazy people. But I wasn't trying to heal them or anything. It was just the comparison was like, well, at least I'm not like that. Or at least I'm not going through that. And and that's all I could do at the time. Having shame about where you're at and where you're starting and how it's going right now is really toxic for you. Pema Chodron says, start where you are. To start where you are, you've got to tell the truth about it, including how you feel about it, and then see if you can come to peace with it. The moment you come to peace with it, it will start to change. It seems like such a paradox, like acceptance leads to change. Everybody thinks acceptance leads to more bad behavior. But the moment you accept it, it means you're open to learning the lessons that are going on. You're open to learning about how you drink and vomit and throw up and how you overeat sugar and you get crazy and uh, you learn how much uh, how much you like being around people and being the center of attention. And you start learning the lessons and you get soft and you become teachable because you're not fighting who you are. Then from there change can come in. Now the question is whether or not you do the change. So. You know, I I do have a friend, uh, I've talked about a lot, who is an alcoholic, says he's an alcoholic, and gonna stay an alcoholic, because when he tried to sober up, he didn't fit into his culture anymore, nowhere. So he drinks, and he is not interested in changing. And that's okay too, then that's where you're at. Maybe that is what this lifetime is about for you, is being an alcoholic and learning all about that adding shame to that and self-criticism is going to make it really painful now i'm not encouraging anybody to be an alcoholic let's get that straight please and i'm also not encouraging people to go to this place that a lot of folks go to which is i'm angry and i have a right to be angry and i'm an angry person so i'm going to be angry whenever i fucking feel like it No, (laughs) with acceptance and becoming soft and becoming teachable, we want to find a balance point at the very least. That's the whole point of acceptance. I remember my teacher said to one of my students, you know, it's good you feel anger, but you don't stay there. You don't, you know, I'm angry and you have to deal with it. No." No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. I'm angry and this is how it's affecting my life. And this is what's working with the anger. This is what's not working with the anger. And how can I balance it out better so it's working better? Let's say you can't balance it out. Let's just say you're so angry it's leaking out of you like radioactive material. Well, you can then find some appropriate places to take out that anger go to the gym and work with a heavyweight bag and punch the crap out of it buy a plastic bag bat, and get a bunch of pillows and work it out that way maybe you need to write hate letters to yourself to other people to spirit even and get your anger out that way the idea of looking at what we're doing, being honest, being able to accept it. And then the how we're going to balance. Everybody's looking for an answer, do this. But the truth is, there's no one answer for everybody. And even with the course I'm taking and the great podcast of Dr. Phil, you're going to have to find your own version of applying The material that you're learning. And if you're really happy in your life and things are good, that's okay. Maybe there's not much for you to do. Maybe you don't even want to meditate. That happens. People get happy. They don't care about spirit anymore because they got everything they want on the earth plane. Until you die... You will not really know what this life is about, with few exceptions. There are some folks who really know that. I've only met like two, (laughs) ever. (laughs) Others have a big story about it, but it doesn't ring true, and I don't see it happening in practice. The point is a couple of things. Start where you are. See if you can work on the shame that you have about who you are and where you're at. Come on, Pia. Notice if any of the healing work you're doing is really people-pleasing or an attempt to just go somewhere and feel better just so you know what you're doing. Doesn't mean you have to stop it, but you need to know about it. And then the stuff that's really bothering you Not because the idea that if I did this, I'd be a better person in God's eyes and then I won't go to hell or people will like me more. But instead, this makes me really unhappy. Well, then we want to rebalance that as much as possible. Whether it's circumstances or behaviors. And then you can look at working with someone. And understand that at first you might think they're your hero. But at some point, the only hero is you. The only person who needs to deeply love you is you. The only person who's going to change your life is you. Getting in the car here. The only person who... Is going to be interesting fascinating complex and at the end of the day you can look at and say wow what a day yeah noon sucked but the morning was great in the afternoon that was incredibly interesting that's your relationship with yourself now everybody else has the opportunity to be with you under no obligation They don't have to support you financially emotionally They don't have to soothe you. They don't have to validate you. And if they do, great. And if they don't, it doesn't matter. That's great also because you're basically okay with yourself. And some folks aren't going to reach that in this lifetime. Some folks need to be okay in the eyes of their family. Some people need to suffer internally their whole life. Some people are here to be alcoholic their whole life. I know this is not new age at all. But if we look at life charts, we're going to learn our lesson and how we learn it. We have a lot of choice about how we learn it. That doesn't mean that because we're learning it in a way that doesn't look good, that we're not learning it or we're doing it wrong. Some of you heard this story with my teacher where he said that the first student that he ever worked with, come here, Pia, get a drink the first student he ever worked with, drink, no drink, became enlightened in a life by dying, not by, but the end result was dying on a curb in his thirties, drunk and completely alone. And another student did it by living his life as a quadriplegic. So the new age concept or the christian concepts or any of the other organized religion concepts that if you run around in white robes wearing amethyst and acting like jesus or buddha or muhammad will be evidence that you are advanced and this is your last life isn't take on spiritual work take on therapy because there's some passion behind that, whether it's to improve your marriage or improve your daily mood, or you don't like taking medication, or you're just curious. Know your choices, embrace them. Be willing to change your choices. And while you're healing, you're going to have to take care to look around of what you're doing to other people. Because when you start healing, a lot of times you take out your healing stuff on other people. The final thing I'll say about all of this and doing this kind of work is if it looks too good, if it sounds too good, it is too good. I remember a disgruntled student saw my teacher and asked if he should keep working with me or this other teacher. And my teacher said about the other teacher that the man was asking about, she could talk a bird out of a tree. She's so smooth with words. And the guy got a big smile. And then he said, that's not the person to be your teacher. Slick, instant gratification, no confusion, constant apparent clarity, which is what cult leaders always do. They give you the greatest story until you get out of the cult and re-listen to them. If you listen to the Nexium people, they used to talk about their cult leader creating what they called word salad. He doesn't talk shit until you felt better. Run from those people. That's not life on earth, that's not growth, that's not balance. Motivational speakers, they might motivate you, but at some point you need to learn how to motivate yourself. And just because they motivate you doesn't mean they're applying the material themselves or even having a successful life. Again, with cult leaders, you'll find out that everything they teach, they're not doing. What's the difference between feeling uncomfortable in the work and being subjected to abuse? Tough call, because if you're very wounded and very fragile, everything is going to feel like abuse to you. You use the wrong tone of voice. She said the wrong words. She made me feel bad. He made me feel ashamed. He criticized me. When you get really strong, you listen to those things and go, oh, there's some truth there. Oh, who's that Pia? There's some truth there. There's not some truth there. Good girl, you're okay. Um, And you don't feel criticized, attacked, and abused. And that's a hard one to sort out because until you heal very often, you will run towards the sick people who will make you feel better because it makes them feel better because it builds up their ego. And you will run away from the people who make you a little bit uncomfortable or maybe even a lot uncomfortable or who put their foot down when you behave badly and just say, I'm not putting up with this shit. I know you're better than that. I don't have an answer for that one because the only thing I know to do with that is, is look at time. For example, my teacher has been around 30, 40 years. There's no sign of a cult. There's no sign of abuse. There's no sign of financial gain. There's no sign of ongoing sexual misconduct. That's over decades. So when my teacher makes me feel really uncomfortable, maybe even crying, doubting myself, hating myself uh, because there was something in me that I was hating and I wasn't aware of, so he brings it to light, so I go home and hate myself. I don't think he did something wrong or bad to me I am sure that like a masseuse, he just showed me a sore muscle I didn't know I had. But that took time. Um, Not much on my part because being energy sensitive, my sense of him from the beginning was okay. And I had already done maybe 15 years of work before I met him. Not to mention I grew up in a family filled with psychologists. So if you're not sure, you can leave. You can leave. You can also just slow down. And it will take time to find out because very often the toxic culture you're trying to get away from or that you were imprinted with is a feel-good culture to always make you feel good so you can tolerate the bad shit that's going on. So you're kind of addicted to that and getting with people who are straightforward And being able to feel uncomfortable feelings without calling it toxic or abusive or being taken advantage of or being oppressed or being shamed, and all the other words, it's going to take quite a while for you to get to that place of saying, wow, the reason I feel shamed is because I already have shame in me. If someone tries to shame you about something that there's nothing wrong, you won't feel shamed. You'll just think that person's crazy and mean. So slow down, give yourself time, and most of all, if you run away, especially kicking someone in the face as you do it, have the strength to come back and and be embarrassed about what you did and feel ashamed about what you did. Healthy shame is a good thing, you know, like, yeah, that sucked what I did, and see if you can move forward. Otherwise, you might spend decades chasing down the people that fit your toxic culture, the very one that you're trying to rebalance. In other words, if you hang around alcoholics, you're used to alcoholic fights because the next day everybody's fine, then they start drinking again, everything's fine, and nothing's really serious, you know, if it doesn't move into physical violence. Then you get with someone who's stone-cold sober, Challenges you, that might feel toxic and abusive to you. Whereas the alcoholic culture is really the one that is toxic and abusive to you, but you're used to it. So these aren't simple things to think about, and acceptance is a very strange idea for Westerners. I hope you listen to Dr. Phil. I hope you do some of that work. I hope you look into Coursera, Dr. Lori Santos. Hope to see you at Life Path Healings. And most of all, hope to hear from you about some ideas of topics you'd like to hear about, questions that you have, etc. Journey on. See you soon.